Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back. The Total Celebrity Show on the Total Education Network. Again, TotalTutor.net for more information. Twitter, TotalTutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, TotalTutor, Pinterest, Neil Haley, and Google Plus, Neil Haley. And I love working with the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust. Awesome always to get to promote the next projects. And coming up at the Bayam Theater Thursday, April 16th uh, at 7.30 p.m., tickets for... Raising Cain, a Harlem Renaissance Odyssey, and I'm really excited to have on the program Celebrity, and but first give the number of 412-456-6666 to purchase tickets for April 16th show. I'm really excited to welcome the program award-winning actress. I remember her from uh, NBC's A Different World as Whitley uh, Gilbert. I'm excited to welcome the program Jasmine Guy. Jasmine, thanks for calling, and I tell you, I watched a lot of the different worlds, so it's an honor to have you on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Very happy to be on and very happy to be talking about this show, which is one of my favorite things to talk about. Well, absolutely. And so tell us a little bit about the project, first of all, uh, getting involved in raising raising cane and stuff and, uh, again, going all over the country uh, promoting this for sure. Well, raising cane is... um, Basically, it's me and three phenomenal jazz musicians, Avery Sharp, percussionist Kevin Sharp, and violinist Diane Monroe. Um, It's my first time uh, working with a jazz trio. There's, of course, lots of music and some singing and dancing. And um, I'm really talking about this fabulous decade between... 1919 and 1929, when Harlem was soaring, and the creative energy out of that decade was amazing in literature, poetry, art, as well as music, the birth of jazz. So we're basically celebrating this decade in a way that's very entertaining and accessible for the audience, but you learn a lot as well. You learn about our history And it's a celebration of the gifts that these great artists before us left us. And it was a it was a volatile time as well politically. And I'm when I and I have to add that because as I do excerpts of speeches from W. E. B. Du Bois and I talk about Booker T. Washington and Marcus Garvey, and you can look at our country a hundred years later than this time Mm. and when these poems were written and go, Whoa. This is still relevant today. 
Um, and I have those moments while I'm saying the work. I'm like, yes, I was watching CNN before I got here, and this just happened, and we're still dealing with some of these same issues, issues now yeah. in our country, you know? Well, I think it's such a great opportunity, especially for our Pittsburgh audience, but also other people to go check you out to make sure wherever else you're out uh, perform- doing this performance because of the history lesson. We cannot forget. Yes. We cannot forget. And history repeats itself in so many ways. And with the tensions that are currently going on in our country and how, as, as a people, we have to, as, as in the United States, understand that we can't make these same mistakes we did before going and seeing this performance and, and, and being able to, uh, you know, really look at these things and say, what has happened to us? We're in the 21st right. century. And mm-hmm. so I think you doing this performance now, it resonates with you and you're educating the audience, even people that might have thought they knew about the Harlem Re- Renaissance. Am I correct? Absolutely. In, in, including me, you know, right. I, I, took this project on thinking, oh, I love the Harlem Renaissance. Great. And then I get in there and I realize there's so much that I didn't know and and so much that I hadn't heard or seen. But um, I want people to leave feeling united that this is also us. This is what we do when we work together. Um, And even though Harlem, you think black, The Harlem Renaissance couldn't have happened without white patrons, without white people crossing the color line. See, that's interesting. I didn't know about that. Yeah. You know, and I make that point, you know, that there was integration in spite of the law. The law is not always right. The law may be legal, but it may not be right. And as human beings and as Americans with the spirit that we are raised in, of freedom, we want a better America. We want an America that's not divided. And in order to do that, we've got to stop pointing and blaming and being shamed and victimized. But we can't do that if we don't tell the truth. Definitely. And as W.B. Du Bois said, look America in the face and call a spade a spade. Right. When we see... When we see bad things happening, we've got to speak out. Yes. We've got to say something. That is what makes us powerful as a country. And so, you know, when you leave the theater, it's a, it's a time of rejoicing and celebrating. It's a, it's a time to think. It's a multi-generational audience that we've been performing for where, you know, people my age are bringing their kids and their parents. Um, and I love that. Because I that's do. the America I know. That's the real yeah. America that we live in. And, um, definitely. and we still yeah. have to think for ourselves. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know. Definitely. <laughs> and, and let the audience learn from it, it, being entertained, but also educated. Because what we see in, in specific things is what the media tells us. And so kind of going in this history lesson, as I, I think, Jasmine, you saw my background, I'm an educator who owns a tutoring consulting company, so I'm really into history, that I yeah. see in the books mostly what happened during the Harlem Renaissance. Not that that whites had to patronize to make this uh, successful. Tell us about that a little bit. See, because I, I did not know that or maybe missed well, the, the point. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you know, um, 
basically, our soldiers have fought World War I for democracy over in Europe. But the black soldiers are returning to a segregated America. There are no jobs. Lynching is at its height. Yes. Um, you know, and they're feeling betrayed. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we did this for France and England, and now we come back to America that's no less safe for us than when we left. Definitely. And um, what happens is uh, artists like Langston Hughes and Aaron Douglas and County Cullen and Claude McKay had white um, sponsors that uh, afforded them the, the luxury of being able to write, to create, to paint. And then also people were flooding the clubs up in Harlem, the Savoy, the Cotton Club, with the birth of jazz, this new music, this yes. new sound, that too is American. Yes, jazz man. is an American art form. Absolutely. Okay. Um, <laughs> so it was. It was those monies and those customers and those patrons and those sponsors that made this decade thrive. Definitely. Of course, when the depression hit, it hit everybody. Yes. You know, and of course, the bottom is always wiped out first. But um, I want to, you know, show that they, you know, I think, you know, America's always been conflicted. Even Thomas Jefferson was conflicted. Mm-hmm. He's writing about freedom for all men. But he has slaves, and, it, yeah. and he's calling men three-fifths of a man. And he's got sons that are his, by Sally Hemings, that are now property. This is very conflicting because it wasn't right. No, it wasn't. And so when you have thinking men trying to justify what isn't right, we're going to keep repeating this. We're going to keep repeating the disenfranchising of, of a people and a people that are as American as anybody else, you know. Definitely. And I'm mixed with all kinds of things. So I, I claim to be really the all-American girl because <laughs> I come from immigrants and and Africans that came here as slaves, and Native Americans, and what's more American than that, you know? Well, you, like think, this, think this about divisiveness. <laughs> how you Go changed ahead. the people's thinking through a different world, and how you were able to, at that time, in that, in that time uh, point, really uh, bring from the Cosby Show on to you uh, mainstream African-Americans and what they were like and the specific situations and how they're different in so many ways where people, well, yes, uh, exactly. so that you were in anywhere in the United States or even all over the world, you finally knew that, that it's not, you don't just paint one picture in Af- of African-Americans. And, th- and that's the, right. that, that, that's the, the, the great thing about this. And now looking even at shows like now uh, Blackish, where we're, fi- we're, we're, we're seeing in specific aspects that, you know what, we can't just stereotype uh, one race in one way. And, and I think that, and you uh, know, yeah. the, the, the intra conflict of, you know, race relations. Yeah. Because just being black doesn't mean you think one way. Everybody doesn't have the same story and upbringing. But if you're just teaching and you're an educator so you understand this frustration, you're just teaching Harriet Tubman and you skip to Martin Luther King, you're missing Reconstruction after the Civil War and how there were black senators and congressmen and then how those laws were erased 
by the racists in the White House, Andrew Jackson and others that said, oh, no, 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 we can't let these black people have all this equality. We're going to change the laws. And then you've got Jim Crow, Crow, which was legal, again, a legal institution, and you have to undo that. And now we have to be careful that everything that has been worked for is not undone, is not repealed. You know, I, um, you know, I, I know you love history and I do too, but this is a very, um, tactile way of, of reaching our history. You know, it's, it's hard for some people to read it, memorize dates, but once you see people as people and you hear their stories and their struggles and you see what they look like and how they dressed and how many kids they had. And you know what I mean? When those people are personified and humanized, then we can remember that history better. Definitely. Oh, Fred Scott is not just a name anymore. You know, Mm. I feel movies and plays and um, songs are very interesting and, um, they they hit the heart in a way that makes us remember our history. We relate, we relate to the history more when we know them as people. De- definitely, definitely, Jasmine. We do that, and uh, and w- when I think about what you're talking about again of uh, of mixed r- uh, race and how you were discriminated growing up, and how in specific ways Spike Lee showed that in a specific uh, uh, movie as well that we learn specifically through. Uh, experiences and learning about these things of uh, that it, as a uh, as African Americans, you're dealing with so much inter that inner relations that are happening that are not getting along and things like that to help uh, you know the the whole cause in so many ways. Yes, because if you, you know if you can't get along, to, yeah, yeah. to teach your child, you don't want to you don't want to teach your child all the bad and not the good. I mean, as a mother, you have to balance that. I have to balance that with my kid. But you also come from this. You also come from this. Yes. You know, there's a you can you can be proud. Uh, but if we're just telling our kids, an America, you know, young America and rural America or America that doesn't have interaction with a lot of different kinds of people that these this group of people is one way, um, and they don't get to have a personal one-on-one relationship with people. I mean, a different world was able to show all kinds of black people right. from different classes, educational backgrounds, different dreams. Um, and I, I hope and I feel like it's humanized the culture, but it's still very dangerous to keep dividing the culture. Definitely. And, you know, because we still are all American, and we, in that sense, the commonality of just being from this country, which is very unique in and of its own right, also has to be embraced. Because it's not for the moral principle of this country and the belief in freedom and the pursuit of your dreams. If we lose that mobility, I think we lose the essence of what America was founded on. 
Definitely, Jasmine. And the kind of last night, I was on a, a, a interview with Mona Davids, who's suing New York City. The parents are suing the school district in the city for edu- of lack of education. And we specifically mm. hear the years of this happening. And she said, mm-hmm. "I I went to the New York City schools, and then my and my mm-hmm. kids are going, and it's the same thing still. All these kids are failing. Mm-hmm. And then, and how are we if we don't educate?" the whole world and the whole country. Are we going to get through this? Because again, we're just going to go based on the stereotypes that we get from television, from radio and specifics, instead of being educated and understanding how to learn on their own and get out and learn and understand what you absolutely have to do as a country, what we have to do to get along so that we don't become Rome and fall. So we don't become great uh, uh, Britain and, and specifically see the United Kingdom and how at one point that was the biggest power in the world or other powers. in the world. We need to continue to get along. And I think that's so fantastic. And I wonder, I know that you're only there for one day. Well, You know, the greatest way to enslave a people is to keep them ignorant. I mean, that was one of the things that they did very well with the slaves. And um, just power. They knew that ignorance would keep us powerless. They knew that education would give us power. Yes. And to, to disempower our young people at this point, I'm a graduate of a public school system, Atlanta public school system. I graduated in 1979. Kids that went to private school were were privileged. They were they were rich and they had the mo- the money to do that. I didn't know anybody that went to private school. Right. Now it is a necessity to send our kids to private school or an alternative educational system, and that is you know I find that profound that we're not educating our kids in a public level that we haven't figured out the schools that are working whether they are the charter schools or the, the, the boys' schools versus the girls' schools. There are schools that are thriving, that have tried something outside of the box. Why don't we look at them and do it all over the country? Exactly. I've said this. You need to be on my education uh, talk shows as well to talk <laughs> about this because I think that the reason why you chose this project and you wanted to do this is because literally you wanted to educate and empower others to go out and not just African Americans, but everyone to get along everyone. and to, um, to understand how amazing my the Harlem Heart is. Right. Suffering. Yeah. My generation is suffering. I'm 53, I have a 16 year old. Um, we're struggling. We're yeah. having to provide way more than we can afford to provide for these kids. Exactly. So they can be on an equal uh, playing field, you know. It doesn't have anything to do with race, although race, really what, what is, is happening is more about class yes. to me. Because class it's happening, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, it's just poor people don't have a shot in hell. Right, and then and then what? And then you're not going to educate them either. Exactly. On top of that, yes. You you know a, a family that's struggling can't send their five kids to school and trust they're going to be educated when they leave. Yeah. So they, where are they going to go from there? 
It's so so true. Anyway, so I I know I got you on a I got you I got you got you I got you on a soapbox and I told you I said once I get the beginning of that show going I just I it's like talking you're like talking to me on the phone not uh, through our millions of listeners. Now one of the thing I wanted to talk about Jasmine and and finishing up again this is reason you chose this project because of those reasons. But what it's going to do is everyone that needs to go to Pittsburgh again on April 16th uh, at 7:30 p.m. at the Biam Theater is that what they're going to learn is specifically. The, the amazing part of how amazing the Harlem Renaissance was, the amount of talent, and you're going to tell that story through music and through uh, dance and through celebration, and that's phenomenal. So where uh, is the best place we can find information on you, especially for our national, international listeners that are saying, you know what? I want to see Jasmine perform this, or we need to get you globally performing uh, this this um, this this uh, raising cane. Where's the best place we can find info on you, Jasmine? Our um, our website is raisingcanethetour dot com. Tickets dot com, and that's R A I S I N C A N E T H E. T-O-U-R. And we have a website. It tells you where we've been. We're open for, for I mean, we have a lot of uh, dates coming up uh, this spring and summer into 2016. So we're, we're booking all the way through 2016 right now. But all the information's on there. Our booking agent, Mark Valen, gives you some idea what the show is. There are photos up there. There are some testimonials of people that have seen the show. And I just got to add that I'm just very grateful to be able to be on stage and still do what I do, you know, because it's been a while. Definitely. The last musical I did was uh, Chicago, and that was about... 15 years ago. Really? So oh, I'm wow. And yeah, we could see you're, you're, you're working as an actress. You've worked in so many different projects. Check you out on Wiki and you'd see that and say, wow. And knowing where after a different world, all the different things you've done. But I've talked to so many actors and actresses. And you know what they say that their favorite thing is to perform on stage? Every one of them tell me that. And, you know, regardless of what their success was, they it, it's it's just the best. And and to tell the story, and not, one of the things I hope that you do in some of the cities is really go to these schools. I think that going to the schools and, and providing this for teachers as a guide, especially in education and history, and for them to understand. We, do, we do have, um, we have an educational guide that goes with the show that we've sent out, uh, we send out ahead of time so that, Schools and teachers can, you know, participate, and we do do educational performances as well during the day. We're not in Pittsburgh. The one is at 730. But, you know, just keep that in mind when people call us, that we do do educational performances, workshops. That's great to tell us for all the cities that you should be coming to because this is a definite thing at this time, this time period, for people to see how amazing this performance is, but also for us to wake up as you've talked about and I've talked about and let's get mm-hmm. along let's fu- let's stop this this fight we all just, just get, get along, along for sure and oh, uh and, and we could follow you at Jasmine guy am I correct on Twitter and all those different places as well correct yes uh the Jasmine guy on uh Twitter and I am Jasmine guy on Instagram and my Facebook is I am Jasmine guy <laughs> 
And yeah. for our listeners in Pittsburgh, I, people again, people are using my name. That's why I have so many different. <laughs> yeah, I know but. you got. You have to do that again. Uh, and also for our <laughs> listeners out there, April sixteenth, twenty fifteen, for our Pittsburgh listeners, seven thirty p.m. at the Biome Theater. For tickets, four one two four five six 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 or trustarts.org. And Jasmine, it was a pleasure again. I remember growing up watching you on a different world, and to get to talk to you and really talk education was phenomenal. And I really appreciate. Appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Neil. It was my pleasure. I hope I see you at the show. I hope so, too. Good talking to you, Jasmine. Okay. Take care. All right, thanks. All okay. right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Total Celebrity Show on the Total Education Network. Again, TotalTutor.net for more information. Twitter, Total Tutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, Total Tutor, Pinterest, Neil Haley, and Google Plus, Neil Haley. And, uh... Uh, this is definitely an author's corner segment as well. And to talk about this man and specifically how he's changed many different sports. Uh, he's a tremendous entrepreneur, uh, am- amazing guy for sure. Uh, he is the senior vice president of the Orlando Magic. He's now a member of the Basketball Hall of Fame. And he wrote a book that's very, very interesting. 21 Great Leaders. Learn Their Lessons, Improve in- their- Your Influence. Pat Williams. Pat, thanks for calling and how are you? Neil, I'm doing very well, and I appreciate the invitation. Look forward to our visit here. Oh, absolutely, Pat. And and thinking about why write this book? I mean, I mean, you, you're an author like almost seventy books. What gave you the idea for this book? I've always been fascinated with with leadership, Neil, and uh, I speak about it a great deal, and have written about it uh, many times, but. Uh, the, the real issue here was uh, to examine who we felt were the 21 most impactful leaders of history, you know, the last couple hundred years of history, and uh, what can we learn from them? More importantly, what lessons can we pass on to to our generation uh, based on the, the leadership style or the leadership effort of of these legends. So we, we did a chapter on each one of them. And then at the end of each chapter, we list three or four or five uh, leadership points or lessons that you can take and apply in your world of leadership. So there, there are a few aspects to this book that I think are different and unusual. And above all, you get a look, a really deep look at the 21 leaders we feel, you know, are the most significant to, to cross our paths or, or you know, or, the, or have been out there or still out there. Uh, definitely, Pat. And when I was looking at the list, they are from a variety of backgrounds and, and social aspects as leaders in different fields. So that's the interesting part of this. And I bet you they all have some similar qualities, don't they? Yes, they do, Bill, and I'm convinced that, uh, or Neil, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm convinced that uh, there's seven qualities that it takes to be a great leader, uh, seven ingredients that uh, all great leaders have, whether uh, currently or, uh, you know, from history, vision, <clears throat> communication, people skills, character, competence, boldness, and a serving heart. So, so that's what we believe uh, really it takes to be a complete leader, and uh, that's what the point really I think that we're trying to get across in this book and examine these different leaders uh, based on their greatest strength as a leader. 
Definitely the, the the greatest strength uh, as a leaguer, and 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 I and I like uh, the the part you talk about servant a servant's heart to ba- basically go out there and know uh, even as you're leading millions of people possibly or 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 as many people you always have that idea that you're willing to serve and help. I mean, because you're not going to be inspired by a leader if they're not going out there and trying to do what you're doing or understanding what you're doing, right? Yeah, let's talk about that whole issue of a, of a serving-hearted leader. Uh, the, the mindset of a serving-hearted leader is this. It's, it's not about me. It's about you. It's not about um, building my resume. It's about building yours. It's not about advancing my career goals, but it's about advancing yours. It's not about my success, but it's the success of you and, and this organization that I'm leading. I I really believe that's how a serving-hearted leader thinks. Uh, he or she is not there to dominate people, uh, to intimidate them, uh, to um, browbeat them, maneuver them, manipulate no. them. That's not, not, not the thinking, but it's always, you know, how, how can I best serve? And when a leader really grasps that concept, Neil, and puts it into practice, oh, boy, that's when families change, and that's when – uh, organizations change for the better. That's when nations change. I, I just don't think we can put enough emphasis on the, the, the heart of service that great leaders possess. I, I, I agree. Where do you think you learned this quality? What time period? Because think about the teams that you've been able to help grow to winners and looking at specifically finding the right players and cogs in certain organizations you've been involved with and all the way down to your days in baseball, especially learning from great leaders. How, where do you think you learned that that quality? Because I think that, I find that fascinating and interesting because you look at two of the leaders, Mother Teresa and Pope John Paul II, are on that list, and that could surprise people for for. And I wanted to jump into that because that really interests me for sure. You know, they they certainly would model uh, a serving-hearted leadership. Probably it came to a head for me, Neil, in my four years as the general manager of the Phillies Farm Club in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, one of the owners of our team was a man named R. E. Littlejohn, who was really in the in the oil transportation business, but uh, loved baseball. And but as I spent those four years with him, it was uh, very obvious that this was a man with a serving-hearted mentality. Yes, uh, people would come to visit with him. You know, pastors or businessmen or sports people or coaches and. You know, just to sit at his feet and learn from him and study and, you know, and and have him help them. Uh, I mean, he did this constantly, and I saw it, and I watched it, and I, and I noticed I didn't have a word for it then, but that was a serving-hearted mentality as a leader. I saw it there for those four years I was with him. He didn't talk about it. He didn't uh, have a name for it, but he was practicing serving-hearted leadership constantly. And as I look back now, I can see that it was modeled in front of me for those four years. And you were willing to work hard and and work hard for him. And I think that that's, that's the key component. When you know that your leader is caring for everyone on the team, people are more willing to go the extra mile for you. They're more willing to do what it takes that's necessary. But when there's just fear, a lot of times fear leads to hesitancy and not you know, stepping up the game for your team, for sure. 
Well, well phrased, Neil. Well phrased. You're not going to really do a good job if you're constantly intimidated or fearful of your owner or your your boss. You know that's a not a not a pleasant feeling to run around with a knot in your stomach all the time. Um, we we've got a serving-hearted leader now in in our owner, uh, prime owner Rich DeVos. He is the co-founder of the Amway organization and uh, models and practices serving-hearted leadership constantly, not just with his work with Amway, but uh, we, we see it here with the basketball team. Uh, that is ex- exactly how he goes about it. And when, when, you, when you have a serving-hearted leader, boy, you, you want to do the job for them. You work extra hard. Yeah, you, you really want to please that man or that woman. Uh, simply because uh, of their serving-hearted approach, and, and uh, they, uh, they 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 just set a standard that makes you want to really, really produce results for them. And and that's fascinating. And then there's seven areas which you talked about in your listing, and I I, w- I want to go into specifically one of those areas and what that leader brings to the table. Because I mean, everything. I think one, if we go from serving, but ultimately you're not going to be successful in business if you don't have a vision. Visionaries are people who can come up with an idea that's different than anybody else's idea and have the right team in place to be successful. You need all those skills. You said to be a great leader and vision you talked about vision well i the one person i bring up is sam walton and how much of a visionary he was and i'm sure you mentioned that in the book for sure in 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 the whole process of vision sam walton is a good a good leader to study uh neil there's no question about it yeah he had a vision you know that little store of his up in northwest arkansas and uh and now the the worldwide empire uh, did, did sam see all that listen he probably did uh he he had a, a big time vision and and that's what great leaders have uh, he was able to communicate the vision there's no question about it and mr sam had remarkable people skills uh he was a man of character you know there were there were no character flaws in his makeup right and the, and then competent yeah very he had competence and boldness. Listen, you're not going to build a, a, an a empire like Walmart without a lot of bold decisions. And then the serving heart. I, I, I study Sam Walton. I think he, he really possessed that. He was a seven-sided leader, Neil. And and worthy and worthy of studying. Well, I, I saw a documentary on him and everything, and we hear certain things about Walmart. But ultimately, what he tries to do is why it's a success. He looked at the customer. He looked at what's going to be best for the customer to, to make it easier, so that people that are not making as much money can still afford and be able to have other other money in their pocket, and plus uh, provide the right place uh, to grow in, in in certain ways as a family in certain things. So it's really interesting to look at all these leaders. And always, here's the funny part, if we, we go through that list of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Harry S. Truman, Dwight D. Eisenhower, Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher, that some of these leaders, Nelson Mandela, were not liked by everyone. So that I don't know if, I don't know if that that where, where we put that involved that uh, situation. I think being bold because if you're not bold and willing to continue to persevere through hard tasks and 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 have this belief it's going to be successful, you're going to give up if you have naysayers, right? Well, I think uh, yeah, you you've got to make tough decisions, and and with that, you're going to have some disappointed people and. 
people who are not going to like it. But at the end of the day, I think George W. hit it on the head years back in uh, in Washington when he said, I'm the decider. <laughs> I decide what's right. Well, that's that's what leaders have to do. If you, if you don't have a decider there, someone who's willing to make bold decisions, you know, that organization is is not going anywhere. And uh, George W. took severe criticism, but he never backed down. And that's what we notice with great leaders, uh, Neil. They they make those tough calls, those tough decisions, and have learned to live with them. And uh, they're not worried about their popularity. Um, if if you if that's what's driving you, popularity. I don't think you're going to be a very effective leader. No, no. And, and I think that's the biggest problem because you have to look what's best for your organization, for you and, and, and the public and have success because at times some people aren't going to like you. And, and, and that's just life. You can't please everyone. And, and then that goes back to another leader that you put out there, Mother Teresa. Uh, there were people that did not like her. You know, and she uh, she had to struggle many times to being persecuted and going through certain things just to continue for her vision that a lot of people around her, because I saw her biography as well. So there's certain people I really have a good understanding of and that, that they looked at her like she was she was foolish. What are you thinking? You need to get out of the streets of Calcutta and and go to a, a nice place and be safe. You're never going to get the money needed for for your for your for your missions and all these different uh, charity of charity charitable things. And he she had the faith in God that it would happen and it did. Yeah, that's uh, that's well phrased, Neil. And you know, she was uh, reporting to a party of one. She was there to to serve the Lord. Uh, that was her calling, and uh, she knew there would be critics and and those who would demean what she was doing. But I don't think it really uh, affected her. You know, she was there to do God's work on the earth, and that's that was her calling. And uh, she set an example for all of us about serving others. Uh, I think you can read and study her life and come away much better for it. By the way, John Wooden, the great UCLA coach, had two life heroes, Abraham Lincoln and Mother Teresa. Oh, wow. Uh, the, the third one was Billy Graham, but those are the three people that Coach Wooden really respected and looked up to. And uh, I visited his condo a number of times in Encino, California. He would walk in and uh, there would be a, a display there at the entrance area of of Lincoln and Mother Teresa, pictures and books and so forth. You know, those those were two heroes of Coach Wooden. Well, that, that's that's tremendous uh, to, to talk about leaders and how we find and model people that we. If we want to be a successful leader, we got to study the the greatest leaders and see what those qualities and characteristics are and try to form those characteristics and qualities. And you'd be surprised. Well, what are you looking at Mother Teresa for? She didn't make any money. Well, you, you got to look at what her mission and vision and what she where she was going in life, and then that helps in in, in so many ways. Uh, what would you say, who really, out of this list of 21, you're inspired most by on a daily basis? Would you say some of these that you really emulated yourself throughout your growth as a leader? Well, I'd certainly put Walt Disney on that list, Neil. I moved to Orlando uh, 29 years ago to 
help start the magic up as an expansion basketball team. But I also got Disney eyes, and I kept running into senior Disney executives who had worked with Walt Disney back in California, and so I would always pick their brain. And uh, then I wrote a book called How to Be Like Walt, in which I interviewed or talked to just about everybody who knew Walter had worked with him, and I was so fortunate to get to those people before most of them have passed away since. And so I learned a great deal about this remarkable man, this remarkable American hero, about his vision and how he communicated the vision, his people skills, a man of great character. He was certainly competent and bold. Oh, my goodness, Neil, he would make tough decisions constantly. Oh, wow. When his his staff would disagree with him, but you know he and when they did, uh, he knew he was on the right track. <laughs> and so <laughs> the, the bold decisions that Walt made are just staggering, and I think he had a his heart was a heart of service. He he wanted to entertain people. Uh, he wanted to provide fun for as many people as he could, and and over the years, when you think about it. Uh, Walt Disney, to this day, has probably touched more people in the world than anybody that's come along in the last hundred years. And that and that will continue, I think, for probably as long as we have an Earth. You know, he he is never going away. The impact of Walt Disney is, uh, is just staggering. So I was fortunate moving to Orlando to really plow into his life, and it, it's made a big difference for me. Well, it seems like a lot of a big difference. Everyone needs to check out Pat Williams' uh, um, different information and see the amazing things that he's been able to accomplish in his career in in sports and, and how he was this innovative thinker and looking at you in general, all the different uh, characteristics that helped you become a great leader. Now, who do you hope reads this book? I know people that are want to be leaders, any type of leadership position, teachers, anyone that has to, to lead others, uh, definitely should read this book. But who who what group of audience are you targeting the most? Do you think entrepreneurs? Do you think CEOs? What is your thought in this process of learning about all these fantastic leaders and well, utilizing Neil, I'll tell you what, I, I think I think the book uh will benefit people from uh, junior high up to senior citizens. You know, we, we wrote it in such a way that, uh, you know, any, anybody can grasp it. It's uh, it's, it's, it's readable, um, uh, you know, for anybody, really. And uh, anybody who has some leadership potential or wants to learn more about this important art, uh, they're going to learn from 21 different leaders. And I think the key is at the end of each chapter, we uh, list the uh, leadership lessons you can learn from that particular leader. We list four or five after each chapter. So uh, I think that's helpful. People can see that and say, okay, uh, this is where I need to apply this to my life of leadership. So uh, I think that's uh, the best answer I can give to your question. I, I, th- and we, we, and I agree with you as well. We all need to be leaders. We lead as a, as, as, a, as, a, as a parent. We lead as a grandparent. We lead as uh, someone involved in the church. Whatever our leadership is, what, whoever we're leading, because we all lead someone at one point in time, that learning these, these lessons, these lessons and characteristics and building upon them will make you much more successful in life, not just in, 
in business or in your job, but also at home, family life, all these different areas, because a great family needs a great leader, right, Pat? That's for sure. I think you uh, you nailed that one. Uh, everybody listening to us here is in a leadership position, whether you're a father or a mother or grandparent, uh, whether you are uh, involved in some part of your church or the PTA or youth sports in your community, uh, everybody's a leader. And listen, if you do nothing but lead yourself, you're in the leadership business. So I think it's important to learn all you can about leadership, study great leaders, uh, take what you can and apply them to your own life. I, I think all of those lessons are, are, are vital. Absolutely. So where's the best place we can find information on you, Pat? Learn more about you. Purchase your book. Where's the best place? We can purchase the book on Amazon or any uh, bookstore, but where else can we find info on you? Yeah, I think that's the answer. Amazon's a great way to order books and head to Barnes & Noble or Books A Million uh, and and get the book there or um, barnesandnoble.com is an excellent way to do it. And uh, people can always visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. And the Twitter page is Orlando Magic Pat. Yeah. And uh, I, I'd be happy to hear from uh, from your listeners. Yeah, I was checking it out and saw the tweet when you were on Fox and Friends and stuff like that. So you're definitely a mover and shaker still with uh, the responsibility of the Orlando Magic. You keep busy for sure, Pat. Your, your, your days must be – that would be an interesting thing to see a leader's day, how a great leader uh, is able to manage an entire day. I'm sure one of your 70 books you've, you've written something about time management because <laughs> you're, I'm sure your day is very busy. So thanks for spending this time with me, and I learned a lot uh, about who you are and especially about the book and can't wait to read it. This is one book that I get thousands of books in the mail every year and I have no time to read any of them. Well, this one I'm picking up and reading. So thanks again, Pat. Hey, thanks, Neil. All right, take care. I'm delighted we could visit and I appreciate this very much. Well, best of luck to you. Take care now, okay? All right. Thanks, Neil. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You're listening to Total Celebrity Show and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Total Celebrity Show on the Total Education Network. Again, TotalTutor.net for more information. Twitter, TotalTutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, TotalTutor, Pinterest, Neil Haley, and Google Plus, Neil Haley. And it's so interesting, as the, the as many NFL Hall of Famers I've interviewed, I consider him one of the best. And uh, to talk about a topic like this, especially discussing head injuries in football and then also in my former sport, professional wrestling, we're starting to hear about lawsuits and that as well. So I want to welcome the program Hall of Fame legend Barry Sanders. He's has an advocacy effort for Tackle PBA. Barry, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're you're welcome. And uh, and and Barry, again with the, all the news and the specific things discussing head injuries, this is something that you really wanted to 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 lead this effort, didn't you? With tackle PP, PBA. Absolutely. Um, you know, PBA stands for um, pseudo bull bar effect, and uh, it um, or otherwise known as it's easier for me to say PBA. And um, and so, you know, we want to raise awareness for that. It's, it's a very little known condition uh, that, and it is um, having an impact on the lives of, of many Americans and and uh, and even some former uh, football players who have uh, PBA-like symptoms. Um, and so, um, you know, we we 
commend the work done by the Gridiron Greats Assistance Fund, who had uh, who conducted a survey that um, that found out that uh, not only had you know most of their players um, you know sustained head injuries, but you know a good number of them have those uh, these PBA-like symptoms, uh, which include uncontrolled emotions, uh, un- um, not having control of um, your emotions, where um, you're laughing and crying, and it doesn't really, um, you're laughing or crying, and it doesn't really match what you're feeling at the time. Um, and, and so um, you can go to uh, tacklepba.org uh, to find out more about it and, and even take a uh, self-assessment test uh, to really be able to gauge where you are or talk to your doctor, um, you know. And, and so we want to um, get the word out and raise awareness um, for this. A lot of times people are dealing with it, and they don't understand what it is. They don't know what it is. Um, and, and so um, and so that's what the campaign is about. Well, I think that's that's so important, Barry, and, it, and it's shocking to, to hear that specifically this uh, these effects can uh, really shock loved ones, especially that when they start seeing these these uh, these symptoms occur, right? For sure. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I do. I do. And um, and so again, that's why we're 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 um, here for them, and and it is treatable. Um, it's treatable, and and if you go to that website, um, tacklepba.org, or you go in and you talk to your physician, um, explain what's going on, then um, then you know that goes a long ways in really being able to to um, to get people the help that they need. Also, I know, uh, Barry, we also have someone else on the line as well that uh, is an expert in this. Can you introduce him for me, please, Barry? That's right. Um, here today with me, um, I have uh, Dr. Greg Oceanic, and um, and he can shed more light on, uh, on what PBA is. Good afternoon. Hello, Dr. Um, Greg. How are you? I am fine, thank you. Thanks for having us. Um, you know, as Barry said, uh, PBA pseudobulbar affect is a neurologic condition. It happens in the face of having an, another chronic neurological condition. It can be a traumatic brain injury, concussion. It can be multiple sclerosis. Can be a stroke. Can be Lou Gehrig's disease. Can be Alzheimer's. Um, and and so what happens? And, and there's two million Americans that are estimated to have. Uh, difficulties with PBA. So what happens is these uncontrollable episodes, unpredictable episodes of laughing and crying that are out of context with what's going on and the way the person feels. So they may be at church and it should be solemn and they're laughing out loud, or they may be having a neutral discussion with their child's teacher or something of that nature and they begin crying uncontrollably. So what happens is these individuals tend to isolate, tend to be more embarrassed, to have this affect their interpersonal relationships and also their work and, and social lives. So um, tacklepba.org is a website where individuals can get more information uh, and, as Barry said, do a self-assessment test and then uh, be able to discuss this with their primary care physician or healthcare professional because, again, as he said, it is treatable and there's no reason that people need to live 
feeling stigma or feeling ashamed or feeling isolated. So, Dr. Greg, when a loved one sees this happening to somebody, especially if they know specifically, especially we're thinking about sports uh, or, or something where they've had concussions or things like this on a regular basis or have had head injuries from a car accident or specific things, once loved ones see these signs, what is your recommendation for them to kind of be intervene? Because a lot of times I'm sure the person that's doing this is denying that it ever happened or is not understanding it. Oh, correct, and, and and that's a good, that's a very good point. Is a lot of times the pay, the individual is either not necessarily denying, but they're not as aware. They're not able to take that step back and recognize what's going on. So, family members many times are the ones who point this out. Um, and again, it's a matter of education and awareness. Um, the the specific issues as we've been talking about are available. Uh, for review at tacklepda.org, um, as long as, as well as more information, um, so that um, it, it can be discussed with the individual who has the chronic neurologic issue, as well as with the physician. Um, and, you know, this is a, a, a disorder that's been around for and, and understood for long, you know, over a hundred years, um, but it doesn't always um, get to the attention. Of the of the patient or of their physician because of not being aware, thinking it's it's related to grieving or sadness related to their primary disorder. Uh, so it's 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 primarily knowledge. It's primarily providing that information uh, because it is treatable and one doesn't have to suffer. Now, Barry, have you observed this yourself with any uh, players in your career or anyone that you've seen have this uh, disorder before PBA? Well, my, my connection to it is really through the um, Good Iron Greats Assistance Fund, um, who um, who conducted that survey. I think we alluded to it, the survey that showed that um, a third of those former players had PBA-like symptoms. Um, and obviously those are guys that I, I, I'm familiar with and I've played with and against and guys that I admire um, from the game and, and they gave so much to the game. And, and so... Um, and so that's my, that, you know, that's why it is personal for me, and that's my connection to it, and 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 why, um, you know, it's really important for me to get out there and, and spread the word and and make sure that they have those resources that they need. Uh, definitely, and uh, and Dr. Greg, what would you recommend specifically once someone goes in for treatment? That you said this this can be treated. So, what types of things are you when you see someone that has PBA? What types of, of uh, like uh, ways do we treat PBA? Well, and again, I think the the key issue in, in terms of our interactions are are to try to get people more aware to to recognize it. Certainly, uh, there are treatment. There's uh, it's treatable. Certainly, paying attention to things like sleep and hydration and nutrition and those kinds of things are critical with any chronic illness. Um, but the ultimate decision comes down to a discussion between the individual and their physician. Um, the, the key issue, from my perspective, is that people understand that there is hope, that there is uh, no reason to suffer in silence, that this is something that um, can be uh, is treatable in a way that, that the isolation and those types of 
consequences become less and the and the person is able to enjoy a more full life. So it's kind of like almost like therapy to explain when these things occur and how to curb those things and, and try specific interventions, understand. But the, the goal is, and it's definitely Barry's goal, is to, for people to identify this and to get help. And by going to PB, tacklepba.org, that'll be the most important way to do this. And, and, and I see that mission for you for sure. Barry, uh, off the field right now, uh, Barry, what are you currently doing? Uh, life after football because uh, you know your tremendous career what did you end up doing after football your football career well for me um, I've been able to have a great platform um, and um, and really you know kind of get involved in things like this do a lot of great charity work um, and um, certainly I was thrilled to, to be able to team up with uh, Grand Greats Assistance Fund um, to tackle PBA um, and, um, you know, we really want to raise awareness for that. Um, and I've been able to do other, other business things and what have you and, and really um, get away from the game um, and, and do a lot of great things family-wise and, and um, what have you and, and still remain kind of um, a fan of the game. But, but uh, you know, today I'm, I'm uh, thrilled that um, we have a chance to raise awareness for this very important issue um, an issue that um, hasn't been talked about enough uh, that a lot of people don't really, again, understand what they're experiencing um, and they don't have a, a, a real name for it um, and um, it's not really clearly defined what's going on for them. And so we encourage them to go go see their doctor um, and go to tacklepba.org, uh, take that self-assessment test um, and, and, um, and take it from there, um, you know, and so... The game has given me a great platform um, in the last 15 years or so that I've been out of it. And had some great, great experiences, um, you know, and, and that's really allowed me to do things like I'm doing today. All right. Well, fantastic. I know I want to see if you'll give me a prediction who's going to win the Super Bowl, Barry, before we get off the line. Who do you think is going to win uh, next Sunday? I'm not, I'm not great at, at those predictions. I, I would think um, – I would think you may go with um, the Patriots uh, just by just by a small margin. Um, you would think that um, this year's game would be um, would play out to be much different than last year's Super Bowl, um, in that in that it'll certainly be a close game that matches the wits of two great coaches, um, two great franchises. Um, you know, in, in the last three or four years. Um, the most successful franchises in the game. Um, and so, but I, I would probably give a small edge to, to the, um, the Patriots. All right. And last thing, uh, we, we, we also know we can go to tacklepba.org and best place to find info on you, Barry, is go to your website. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's fine. Um, but as far as today, yeah, just um, tacklepba.org. All right. Well, thanks, Dr. Greg, for calling. And thank you, Barry. And uh, take care and good luck to you guys. All right. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Okay. Bye bye. You're listening to the Total Celebrity Show, and we'll be back in just a moment.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.